You're listening to Life and Health Matters with Dr. Shakib, and this is your host, Momak Shakib. I've decided to do a podcast episode on pets and vaccination because it's almost the anniversary of an adverse reaction of my dog to a vaccine that I was 100% assured was going to be safe. So I thought it would be 100% beneficial for all of us with animals and how routinely we vaccinate and what are the criteria to go with and some of the things that are happening without our ordinary veterinarians sharing the information with us. That's the whole purpose of this podcast in general, to bring the news and information that is not necessarily mainstream information that our good old media provide us. I hope you find it beneficial. I hope you use it as a resource to apply right across all the living animals that we tend to vaccinate regularly. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please forward them to me via email to drspodcastshow at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to the show. So with no further ado, here is the podcast episode. All right. So just like I mentioned in the introduction, I took my dog to uh, get a rabies vaccine. I have a holistic vet that I take my animals to when I have to take him to a vet. And um, since this was rabies and my vet didn't have time uh, and appointments were out for another couple weeks, I decided to go to a nearby vet. It was an ordinary, uh, good old mandatory rabies vaccine. So at the time of vaccination, when my dog was vaccinated, Uh, The vet told me that I should consider uh, rattlesnake vaccine uh, because while it does not immunize the dog against the venom, it buys more time in case my dog was was, uh, bitten by a rattlesnake, I could take him and it would buy me more time. So I told her that I was going to research it, which I did, and nothing showed up, not one single adverse reaction And so I made an appointment and I went to her for that vaccine. Um, Exactly to a a week to the day that she was vaccinated, uh, my dog became paralyzed. Uh, A couple of days after the vaccine, uh, she was um, running a little bit of fever. Um, I wasn't able to take her temperature. She wasn't letting me. But I could tell she was lethargic a little bit and running a little bit of uh, fever. And then one day, about four days after the vaccine, uh, she got up and acted like the front limb was a little bit, was like numb. And I thought, huh, I guess, you know, sometimes you lay on your um, hand and it gets numb. And I thought, oh, must be happening to her like that. And, um... Uh, Then exactly a week from the time she was vaccinated, I found her fully paralyzed with her right leg and she was unable to walk and she was uh, 
uh, crying and uh, basically not able to move at all. So um, I'm, I won't tell you how and what I did, etc., etc., because that's irrelevant to the subject of this podcast episode. But I can tell you that when I took her to the vet, um, a, a hospital emergency, um, uh, I, I um, told the vet, and this is what uh, my dog went through is exactly what an adverse reaction to anything, uh, uh, unless it's uh, right away, uh, is. It was almost a, a textbook uh, version of how a vaccine reaction would be. And the vet said, well, there is nothing um, that has been reported about rabies vaccine. And I said, well, I'm telling you the sequence of what happened. And uh, are you going to report this to anyone? And he said, no. I said, well, this is how things are not um, reported. No one reports it. How are people going to know what's going on if um, no one reports it? So um, the anniversary of that is coming up, and I decided to dedicate the podcast episode to that. And sure enough, there's plenty of information out there. One of the things that um, happens is what's referred to as immune-mediated thrombocytopenia. It sounds um, um, like a foreign language, but it's a very serious autoimmune disease where a dog's body um, immune system, um, basically the whole body is attacked, uh, uh, its own blood platelets. Thrombocytes are platelets, and they're small, colorless set, uh, cell fragments in the blood that form clots and stop or prevent bleeding. So in this case, the body's own immune cells attack the platelets as if they're a bacteria or virus. So platelet numbers goes, go down, severe bruising or uncontrolled bleeding takes place, which means, of course, anemia. This is over time. It's not like it happens and right away you notice it. And when it's left untreated, death can result. So imagine the number of things that's going to happen to the dog, as an example, before anemia is detected. And of course, so many tests are going to be run because the first thing that happens is, well, let's make sure there is no internal bleeding. But this happens to be an autoimmune disorder, which is brought on by the vaccine. Now, just, just bear with me because this is not as simple as you think. So immune-mediated thrombocytopenia is, a co is quite complex. The treatment is very individualized. It's aggressive at the beginning, and the dog has to be hospitalized. Immunosuppressive drugs are given to save the pet's life, and with anemia, a blood transfusion may be required. And of course, in more severe cases of anemia, oxygen and fluid therapy is given. Of course, the cause of immune-mediated thrombocytopenia has to be addressed, obviously. It needs to be 
identified, and generally speaking, this can take a long time. Supportive herbs like milk thistle can be used to help reduce stress on the organs of detoxification. So those organs of detoxification, we're talking about liver, we're talking about kidneys as an example. Any drugs or vaccines the dog received prior to developing immune-mediated thrombocytopenia should be avoided for the rest of the dog's life, as should all vaccines and other immune system stimulants should be. Many dogs can be weaned from all medications, but occasionally a dog may require that for the whole life. So now the link between vaccines and this immune-mediated thrombocytopenia. So this is quite interesting. As you know, vaccine subject is uh, highly controversial for humans and, of course, for animals, the, the veterinary community in general uh, has always denied the correlation between vaccines and adverse reactions. Of course, now we have community of veterinary uh, veterinarians um, uh, who are holistic and alternative that are um, disagreeing with the uh, whole idea that vaccines are safe. In 2012, Purdue University study failed to confirm a link between idiopathic, meaning doctor-induced, I'm sorry, idiopathic meaning unknown um, cause, immune-mediated thrombocytopenia. So they're saying that they can't find vaccine correlation uh, with this uh, immune-mediated thrombocytopenia, uh, even though they can't find out why, that's what idiopathic means, they can't find out what the cause is. Uh, researchers noted, however, that the possibility of an association cannot be completely ruled out based on the small sample populations and requires further investigation. So veterinarian Dr. Robert Rundy, uh, writing for DVM360.com, points out limitations of the study such as lack of information on the number of vaccines the dogs in the study received throughout their lives. According to Dr. Rundy, it's difficult to conclude whether recent or cumulative vaccination may or may not increase the risk of idiopathic uh, immune-mediated thrombocytopenia. Many in the holistic and integrative um, veterinary community are convinced that the vast majority of immune-mediated diseases, including ITP, that's idiopathic thrombocytopenia, are triggered or exacerbated by vaccines, particularly Bactrins, which are vaccines against bacterial organisms like Lyme's disease or leptospirosis vaccine, and killed vaccines like rabies vaccine. Studies like the Purdue one only look for associations between recent vaccinations within less than two months, as if it's a freaking suppository. Like you get a vaccine and all of a sudden you get an anaphylactic uh, response to the vaccine. It doesn't work that way always. In some animals it do, does. 
just like in some people it does. They get the child gets vaccinated and immediately, like the same day, gets a fever. The next thing you know, there is an adverse reaction. The issue with vaccination is that the impact can be so subtle that you miss it. But over time, it adds up. So they look at something within the last two months and they say, okay, well, this dog, how many vaccines within the last two months? Well, let's be real. I'm going to go over this with you. But United States of America over-vaccinates even its own animals. We have yearly boosters, which should not exist. I did a whole radio show, gosh, that must have been in 2009, when um, just the numbers were astronomical compared to European countries and how we vaccinate everything, (laughs) over-vaccinate everything, I should say. So um, they were talking about less than two months, vaccination, but less than two months and immune-mediated Uh, Immune response doesn't have to be immediate and can take, in most cases, cumulative vaccinations over a period of months, usually three to six months or longer. Sometimes it's a vaccine alone that triggers immune uh, disease, but most often it's vaccinations coupled with other medications, environmental toxins, a poor quality diet, and other lifestyle stressors that complicate things. Unfortunately, our animals are going through the same health challenges as as people do. Um, We have animals that have itchiness because, you know, we walk our dogs and they walk on the grass that's highly, mm, basically herbicides are used, sprays are put put there and they're having um, allergic reactions. We have animals that are constantly scratching different parts of their body uh, our animals are getting sicker than ever before. The diets are horrible. I mean, our animals are eating garbage, living the same environment we're living in. They are basically animal version of us. <laughs> There's this other autoimmune disorder called autoimmune hemolytic anemia, which is a potentially life-threatening disease when the immune cells basically attack your, the, the animal's own red blood cell. Red blood cells are clearly necessary to carry oxygen to the tissues of the body, and pets, just like people, cannot survive without, without oxygenating the body's tissues. In dogs with autoimmune hemolytic anemia, the surface of the red blood cell gets changed by an underlying disease process or a toxin, which then signals the immune system, which attacks, basically immune system attacks the invader. The red blood cells are attacked, and that's what hemolysis, that term means. So the red blood cells are attacked either within the blood vessels or in the spleen or liver. Now, spleen is basically the cemetery for red blood cells, and your liver is where every single blood cell goes to to get binded to a protein, uh, uh, whatever hormones that are uh, produced. It goes 
there uh, to get binded to a protein and then carried by red blood cells. So huge, huge um, area for all red blood cells to go through um, the whole process. Conventional treatment for autoimmune hemolytic anemia is usually aggressive, just like the immune-mediated thrombocytopenia, the underlying condition obviously needs to be addressed. We're talking about a long-time animal suffering and thousands and thousands of dollars being spent trying to figure out what the hell happened. The, pay, the pet may need blood transfusion, which is risky because increasing red blood cell, that's what red um, blood transfusion is, um, through transfusion can easily trigger an even more aggressive immune system response. Sometimes a blood substitute called oxyglobin is used, which has the ability to carry oxygen to all the body tissues to avoid the transfusion hazard, ramping up the immune response even more. Corticosteroids like prednisone, pre prednisone in high doses is most often given to intentionally suppress the immune system so it will slow down or stop attacking the red blood cells. Obviously, when the, red blood, when the immune system goes down, now the animal is more prone to getting sick over other things. Sometimes they even do chemotherapy to even more decrease the immunity. Well, we all know what the side effect of chemotherapy is. The alternative is of IV immunoglobulins from human blood. Plasmapheresis, which removes the antibodies from the blood, sometimes even the spleen is removed. Recurrent transfusions, hospitalization, medications, IV fluid to keep the animal hydrated and healthy as possible is, of course, part of the care. Many dogs with autoimmune hemolytic anemia unfortunately require long-term or even intermittent lifetime therapy because relapses are common. We're talking about miserable life. And this is happening in this country. There are parts of the world that human beings don't have food to eat. They're starving. And we are over-vaccinating our animals. We are spending tens of thousands of dollars in some cases, to rescue our dogs. Almost the term loving them to death may be applicable here. Some of the known underlying triggers for secondary um, AI, basically autoimmune hemolytic anemia, are infectious agents heartworm diseases, inflammatory bowel disease, certain drugs, hypersensitivity reaction to maybe bee stings, and vaccines. Of course, they look at the correlation between this and vaccine within the last two months. Once again, talking about limitation. It's almost like, why two months? Is it because over two months, you, you're, the numbers that you get are not desirable? It it proves that vaccines aren't safe, so you only publish it up to two months. I mean, there's so much scam. There's so much politics behind 
all the pieces of information that's provided to us with regards to our health for us or our animals. I mean, we are talking about scam. I personally assume the information provided is a lie, so I look to see what is going on. Unless proven otherwise, I'm not doing anything about it. Um, we're talking about vaccination here. So what should we do? According to the holistic veterinary community, you should tither rather than automatically revaccinate. We we do tithering for humans. Why vaccinate if we can titer and see if the, um, the antibodies exist? If the antibodies exist, why are we vaccinating? The, the, that human being, that animal already has what it takes. We should not, like I got sucked into and I, I made the mistake of trusting the information that was provided to me. When she said, um, my vet said, vaccine for rabies. I said, no, I don't vaccinate my dog. And she told me what she said. And I thought, okay, well, that makes sense. I got sucked into it. Misinformation, BS all the way. Pet owners and proactive veterinarians in other parts of the world would have developed much more progressive titering protocols than are offered in North America. In the Netherlands, Belgium, and Belgium, for instance, many veterinarians titer test puppies and kittens before their first vaccine to see if the mom's antibodies are present. And then, of course, they titer after to make sure that they are immunized. See, we use the term immunization and vaccination interchangeably. They're not the same. Immunized means you're covered. Vaccination is just vaccines. They use it interchangeably, and frankly, I, I think that's intentional. Try to give the illusion that vaccine would, will immunize you, will cover you, you're covered, you're protected, and that's not the case. So if, we vaccin- if before we vaccinate, we titer to see if the antibodies exist, well then There may not be a need for a vaccination. And just because you're vaccinated does not mean that the animal is covered. Another titering needs, needs to be done to see if the antibody actually exists in the animals. In 2011, the American Animal Hospital Association Canine Vaccination Task Force updated their vaccination guidelines, establishing that the core vaccines, with the exception of the one year rabies vaccine, because core vaccine is uh, rabies. The one-year rabies is the exception because typically it's more than one year. Canine distemper, canine parvo, and canine adenovirus are now recommended at three-year or greater intervals versus one-year intervals. Come on, how many of you are vaccinating your animal the whole parvo distemper, et cetera, et cetera, on a yearly basis. I know back in the days when I didn't know any better, I had the cutest Maltese and every single year, and I thought that was like I was being responsible, taking my dog to the vet every single day, every single year to get vaccinated. Poor thing would turn pink. It was a white dog 
would turn pink from, from allergic reaction. And I would call and they'd say, oh, Benadryl. I just didn't know any better. I kicked myself for not doing something about it. I trusted the information that was provided to me. That was back in the days when I didn't know any better. <sighs> the American Animal Hospital Association updated this guideline again in 2017 to address new non-core vaccines developed since 2011. They also acknowledged that in case of non-rabies core vaccines, we're talking about distemper, parvo, adenovirus. Um, immunity lasts at least five years for distemper and parvo and at least seven years for adenovirus. Come on, how many of you have vaccinated your dog just recently? An annual booster. They're talk they already updated it. Why is it that they're not following the guidelines? <laughs> The canine vaccine protocol, according to most holistic vets, is that, number one, the first round of distemper, parvo, and adenovirus, not parainfluenza, before 12 weeks of age, usually between 9 to 10 weeks. The second round between 15 and 16 weeks, two weeks after the second round, tighter to make sure the dog has been immunized and just not vaccinated. For rabies, the first vaccine at six months, then require, as required by law, a booster one year later and every three years thereafter. That's just the guideline you need to do. Most holistic vets do not recommend non-core vaccines like Bordetella, Leptospira, and Lyme's, canine influenza virus H3N8 and H3N2, and Western Diamond Rattlesnake. That's the one I got. The AHA, which was, uh, it, it stands for American Animal Hospital Association, has developed a lifestyle-based vaccine calculator. I'll put the link in the show notes to help veterinarians and dog parents determine what non-cores, if any, should be given. By the way, according to uh, Holistic Vets, that I have talked to, cats do not need rabies vaccine. So don't overdo it. So the lifestyle calculator, I'll put it in the show notes. And what they recommend is first, your dog should be healthy. When you're vaccinating, your dog needs to be healthy. If he has allergies, endocrine issues, organ dysfunction, cancer, or a cancer survivor, or another medical issue, um, they shouldn't get vaccinated. The vaccine is for a life-threatening disease. This eliminates most non-core immediately. The vaccine is considered both effective and safe. Most aren't. I told you about Chloe, my dog. Your dog has never had an adverse reaction to a vaccine do not vaccinate a pet that has had a previous vaccine reaction of any kind. If you do vaccinate your pet, you can ask your integrative veterinarian to give you a homeopathic vaccine detox. 
is this thing called Tuha or Thuha. I don't know how to say it, which is a homeopathic vaccine detox. Several non-core vaccines are only available in combination with other vaccines. So they mix the non-core with the core, which is ridiculous. Check to see if you can have them separated, um, not in a combo, since most uh, conventional veterinarians do not have single vaccines, ask to see the vaccine vial. So in people, you can have... Um, when there is like a combination of um, of the uh, vaccines in one, uh, you can just have them do it separately. It's a little bit more expensive, but hey, what's money for? If you can't dedicate your money for your own health, let's ask how fun is it to save that money and have that money and be unhealthy? Same goes with our animals. Don't get an animal if you can't provide quality uh, life. Quality life is not um, uh, getting a weekly grooming. Quality life means providing quality food, providing quality health care. And hey, I made the mistake. My own dog became uh, uh, paralyzed as a result of that, which, by the way, just for the record... uh, she did until she died. Uh, she did have a limp. She did come back. And it was not because I listened to the vet, but it's because I did my own assessment. Of course, I don't know anything about dogs. So I had to learn how to do orthopedic and neurological exam to assess my own dog. And then I treated my dog just like I would have treated a human being and uh, my dog started walking after I aggressively treated her and 100% did not listen to my vet which recommended a bird I mean a cage rest I according to my assessment my dog had to 100% uh, walk And uh, so I did aggressive uh, series of treatments, including cold laser, including uh, adjustment of the spine and passive physical therapy of the limb. And um, I did that multiple times in a day uh, and actually brought my cold laser from the office home and... uh, (sighs) So she started walking, but she always had a limb. I listened to the vet who said it was safe and that it was not a vaccine, but would buy more time. I'm convinced I was lied to because I already told her I was not going to vaccinate my dog. So she put it in terms that I would uh, accept. And of course, my research didn't show anything These things are not being reported. You have to be, it can be overwhelming when you can't even trust the authorities, the people that you're told are authorities anymore. It's just ridiculous. At any rate, I hope you find this information valuable. Do your own research. Connect with people of like mind. Start looking for 
things that support the adverse reaction. When I Googled, <laughs> Dr. Google, um, when I Googled uh, adverse reaction, nothing showed up. When, I, of course, when my dog was paralyzed, then I Googled um, rattlesnake vaccine and um, dog paralysis, then things started showing up. So it's hard to, to give you a, like a formula to follow. All I'm just saying that really there's a lot of misinformation out there. Vaccination and autoimmunity is a lot more common than we realize in people and in animals. This is highly controversial, which only means that we need to be a lot more careful. At any rate, I hope you found this information valuable. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please forward them to me via email, drspodcastshow at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. Until next time, be safe.